1: Good morning, dear listeners, you're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine, remembered with Youssef Ahmed El-Rimawi, Nasser Mashni and Robert Martin. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. And in today's episode... Our co host Robert will be our guest and he will share with us his journey discovering Palestine and the Palestinian story. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Yusuf. Good morning, listeners. Robert, uh, this is a special episode. You are not the co-host. You are the guest. And um, we would like to um, learn about your journey of discovering the Palestinian narrative. So uh, thanks for uh, being with us uh, today.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. So, uh, Robert, uh, tell us how you came to be involved uh, in this journey and how you discovered uh, Palestine. I mean, as you know, look, I'm very, very close friends with,
0: uh, with Nasser Mashni and, and Kamal, very, very close friends of mine. Mm. Um, and now you're a close friend with me. And now I'm very close friends with you. But, uh, you know, I've known Nasser for 20 years. And over the years, I was hearing things that were going on in Palestine. And I could see the effects that they were having on him. Mm. I attended Run for Palestine. I went to some APAN events, um, which is a great form of uh, a group that people should uh, get involved with. Um, but I was, an ignorant Australian worrying about myself, worrying about my kids and just sort of fobbing it off. Uh, and then, you know, over the years I I gradually started to hear a little bit more and then in July, 2014, the Gaza strike Mm. and
1: that's when things really started to get me. Now, uh... Robert, before before 2014, before July 2014, Palestine to you uh, looked or sounded like a foreign issue? Yeah,
0: something that was a long way away, something that had too nothing complicated. to do with Too complicated, had nothing to do with me. Even though that is so the effect of this issue on your close friends. Yeah. Mm. And, it, and it shows the power of, of the media mm. because I'd been hoodwinked into believing everything that the media said. And, you know, moving on, I can discuss what i got out of the media to versus what I actually
1: saw. It's interesting, Robert, because um, I think one of the uh, successes of the pro-Israeli campaign or propaganda is not just that you have to be pro-Israel. They intimidate people into believing that it's too complicated to go through. And, you know, it's a foreign issue, not relevant and uh you know let let's not even go through the details of history and religion and politics etc so they they this is the assumption i had from speaking to people who know nothing uh, about the palestinian issue yeah, that it's it's, it's, it's a complicated issue
0: and it's been going on for thousands of years mm. and that's something that i get told a lot these days and we know that that's just not true and then july 2014 so july 2014 happened i started reading a little bit But I used to go into NASA's office, and he was in tears. Hmm. And he said something to me that I'll never forget, and I'm getting goosebumps when I think about it. He said, Rob, when the kids look like your kids, you won't be able to sleep. And it's such a truthful thing. I mean, my kids are as white as snow, and so when I see the pictures, it wasn't quite the same. Well, I see them the same today. I see them exactly the same. And if anyone can see what's going on and see this happening to innocent children... Mm. it 's it's, it's a horrific event that needs to stop, and so that really started to <coughs> move me after that i I got onto Facebook and I yeah. made a few friends in Gaza. Uh, my first friend, uh, Mahmoud Arafat, who was a, you know I still speak to occasionally today, uh, he was talking to me through the bombs
1: living in a So small. that was during the fifty five day hostility on Gaza yeah and then you met Mahmoud Arafat yeah and, and you know, it, was, it was amazing
0: because you know you see what 's in the newspapers. And then you see a, you, you speak to somebody live mm-hmm. while it's going on and to hear the fear, to hear that they only want to live in peace. And then to read in the paper that Israel's protecting itself and that the Palestinians are terrorists and the Palestinians are just out for the destruction of Israel. Uh, and, you know, that, that sort of, I think, is what my brain, my subconscious thought, because every time you see any of the, the mainstream media's, that's what you see and that's what you get. Uh, and so as I started to, to read on the internet and then I started to post on the uh, – it was NBC and some of the major newspapers in the world to say what about this, what about that. And then things started to get a little bit of traction and I started to talk to different people. They weren't uh, – they're not politicians trained to hoodwink you. Hmm. These are real people and starting to hear real stories. And I thought it was
1: it was fantastic. How, how did it feel to have first-hand – information from a person uh, who was living the war uh, by speaking uh, on Facebook with Mahmoud uh, from Gaza. How did it feel? Did it feel that now you have access to a story you didn't before? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But, but the fact that there's a human being, He was a he's 24,
0: 25. Mm. Uh, he was working as an interpreter, doesn't have any money, was worried about the kids, worrying about everyone around him as a real human being. And we don 't hear that, we only get demonization of the Palestinians mm. that they're demons we don 't humanize them, and then when you really start to i mean I had a relationship with him, you know I really started to feel I got to know him, uh, and I you know he became part of the family and so every day I would check in with the time difference I was you know driving to work sometimes and we were we were texting and, 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 um, and c- communicating mm. and it became horrible and then each day I would come in and I would see NASA and the, uh, still in Getting in tears and very, very emotional, and then just as it went on i mean fifty fifty odd days
1: mm. and that was the third episode of hostilities in five years. It started in two thousand and eight slash nine two thousand and twelve. 2014 and that's only not not even to include the 2006 hostilities um you you were talking about uh, the demonization of palestinians and i recall reading articles about uh, phd scholars who uh, really from a purely um language discourse point of view or discourse analysis point of view, uh, studied that. uh, And uh, they saw that in Israeli uh, um, uh, textbooks, in Israeli uh, or or even Hollywood uh, movies, the Palestinians uh, don't have names, don't have um, stories, whereas the uh, Israelis, uh, are the father, the loving father, the loving husband, the ones who go back home missing their children, and the ones who share food, whereas Palestinians are put in one big basket. So, uh, and, and it works. It works on your subconscious. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I'm embarrassed to sit here today and say that. But, you know, I was basically a racist without realizing it because I had preconditioned ideas that mainstream media had told me. But then when I started reading mm-hmm. and I found documents, the Hasbro Guide which I've printed out. It's uh, it's 130-odd pages, Mm. and it tells students, it tells teachers, it tells reporters how to deal with it. Mm. And it always says that you mustn't use the word occupation. Every time you use the word Palestinian, that you must put the word terrorist in front of it. Every time you talk about Israel, you must say it's defending itself. And then when you go back and you look at the newspapers, that's exactly what they're doing. Now... If I'm trying to read and get a neutral base, I'm not getting it. No. I'm getting fed stuff without actually realising, mm. and and that that shocked me, Yusuf. I was absolutely shocked when I actually found that to be the truth.
1: Um, so so from from there, you went on with your journey in uh, discovering Palestine and the Palestinian story. Tell me tell me the second step or the second stage to that.
0: So I I, uh, I became quite outspoken, mm. and then I had a lot of people saying, "You've got no idea what you're talking about." And you know what?
1: They're right. Dismissing. But they're right.
0: And so I packed my bags up and I decided to go over there. Uh, And I went over with open mind, absolute open mind. I had no plans to start trouble. I had no plans to stay at particular places. I just wanted to go over, spend some time on both sides.
1: fact finding mission.
0: 100%. Mm. And if you go on certain tours, you don't get that because you're going to get a bias either way. And Mm. so I went as an individual, as a human being, and I wandered. I wandered around a little bit. Um, I wandered into, uh, went and stayed in Berlin, which is, uh, you know, at the time I didn't realise that five broken cameras was there. This is how Mm.
1: uh, ignorant I was, and so I was meeting all of these people. I don't want you to keep say to keep repeating the word ignorant because most. Most people don't know what you didn't know. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the Australians. I mean, you, um, this is even among Arabs and Muslims mm. who are viewed as automatic supporters of the Palestinian cause. But you are humble enough to, and brave enough to acknowledge it. Uh, but, but to give context on Five Broken Cameras, you mentioned that before you continue with your story. What is mm. Five Broken Cameras?
0: So it was a film that, um, I think it was a, an Emmy Award. It was mm. a... Um, Voted for or nominated for. And so it's actually a, a story in Berlin where five cameras were actually broken. Uh, in the village of Berlin, the wall was getting closer and closer. The villages were getting uh, taken day by day. Uh, you know, one of their, their great sons, Bassam, died. Bassam Aburama died from a, a gas canister to his chest. And so it, it made big news. And as I'm walking around the village, they're saying, Oh, you know, do you remember this guy from the movie? Well, I didn't know the movie, I got given a copy. But these people were just loving, fun people, just wanting me to have a barbecue with them, eat with them, break bread with them. I haven't laughed so much in my life <laughs> than when I was with them, and I truly haven't. And, you know, to be welcomed as a family member was fantastic. So I stayed there for a few days. And look, my first encounter came, I was sitting with Hamdi hum- Aburama, a couple of his friends and his cousins, because they're all cousins over there. He says, you know, <laughs> come over and meet my cousin. Yeah. Uh, and look, and he received a phone call, and the phone call was, come, the soldiers are up the top of the hill, uh, you need to come. Now, because Humdi is a photographer, he goes up and takes pictures, which protects them. He also has a, a good friend, Haytham, who was a, another photographer, so they go up there in tandem, which protects the villages. Hmm. So I went up there, and as I got up there, you know, they said, don't get out of the car, and I said, you know, why not? And um, I'll never forget it, as I got out of the car, I saw two armed soldiers. So what that that was, your first encounter with armed soldiers? First encounter. Mm. I mean, it it doesn't happen here. I mean, I've been to Singapore and seen, you know, they have the M16s as you go through the airport, and Mm. that was enough for me. So to to go up here on the top of the village, and to make it clear for people that don't know, Berlin is a village, it's a Palestinian village. There's no need for the Israeli soldiers to be there because from the top of Berlin you can see the settlements. There's no reason for these soldiers to come. They're only there for intimidation. Hmm. Scare the Palestinians, shake them up, shake the kids and create that sort of disconnect.
1: And also try to break their will when it comes to the popular struggle because Berlin uh, is, is the spearhead of the anti-war demonstration, peaceful hmm. demonstration. Yeah, I mean, and it's the non-violent.
0: It's the absolute non-violent. I'll come to the non-violent uh, march they had because that happened a few days but later. So you saw the soldiers? So I saw the soldiers there. I had about maybe 10 15 little Palestinian kids and youths around us at the top. Uh, I got out, and the soldiers didn't know what to do, Yusuf, because, you know, I'm a white guy, and asking them what's going on. Now, truth be known, I was shitting myself. I was in an environment that I wasn't comfortable with, um, but, you know, your adrenaline kicks in, and I saw the panic, and there was one one playground, that's it, and the soldiers were taking equipment from there. And so I said, what are you doing? And they said, "Oh no, we're protecting Israel. We have to take this. We have to take that." Um, They held their gun up towards me, and I told—I pointed up towards the hills—and I said, "Look, I've—you know—I'm an international journalist. Uh, I'm not that silly to come up here without protection. And if you look on the top of that hill and the top of that hill over there, there's cameras on me."
1: Wow! So So, you somehow managed to hide your fear and to turn it into firm. Strong message that, you know... Well, it's either that's, that or I'm yeah, that's, just going to run. That's, that's excellent. A- and, and that's and, and I've got the footage. <laughs> and maybe I'll put the footage on for people
0: that haven't seen it because I've, I was holding I my video say, camera.
1: I saw the pictures and I saw the, vi- the footage you're talking about and it's really eye-opening to see a brave Australian... Man going and confronting police and actually filming uh, what is a daily life in a palestinian family well not,
0: i didn 't realize how dangerous it was until I got back because I was full of adrenaline and you know, and I really was mm. uh, but you know towards the end of it, there was four of them and i 've got the footage so you know people say it didn 't happen i 've got the footage there i 've also got the footage of them actually taking some of the playground equipment there 's a truck taking it now. Someone with kids, someone with emotions, someone with a care factor, I could see what they were doing. Well, as they left, they threw stun grenades at me. Now, I don't know if anyone's been experienced to those, but they're bombs that explode right at your feet, uh, and they scare the hell out of you as well. Yeah. And so that was my welcome. So <laughs> fantastic. Well, after that, I got pretty close with the village. You know, they'd all heard this white guy had come over, and, you know, I i don't know what would have happened if I wasn't there, Yusuf, hmm. because no cameras... What we know that they do to the Palestinians, who knows that they wouldn't have done that. Now, I just want to put a quick story in here. They told all of the Palestinians to leave, the soldiers, and they wouldn't leave. Then they spoke in Hebrew. I don't know what they said, or broken Arabic, and everybody left. All of the teenagers ran. And I didn't realise until the end that they had actually told the teenagers that if they didn't leave, they were going to shoot me. And so when their lives were threatened, They didn't move. But as soon as they said, if you want your white friend or your Aussie friend, I think they thought I was English, if you want him to be okay, you better leave. And that's when they left. And they told me this after we were back in there having some really hot, strong coffee and cigarettes.
1: Wow. Well, uh, lucky they didn't ask me or Nasser because we could have said, okay, I can take him. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. Yes, please. That's why we brought you. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) but uh, But horrible uh, I will take a quick break (laughs) (laughs) and when we come back I really want to hear more uh, from your story, Robert Martin an Australian activist who is sharing his journey, discovering the Palestinian narrative and of course Robert is a friend and a co-host of the program so uh, stay with us and we will be back shortly Every day we tell each other
0: that this day will be
1: Robert, tell us about uh, your next step in Palestine after Berlin.
0: So a few days later, because I stayed in Berlin, I, uh, on the Friday they've had this march for I think 10 or 11 years. And so I went with the group and it starts at the village. They walk down a hill up towards where the wall is. And it is, the, it is an absolute peaceful march. There are children there are grandmothers, there are grandfathers, they are all very, very nonviolent. there is not a shadow You're of a about doubt. families, families, and internationals as well. Mm. so people fly over because it is a bit of an event mm. um, and I thought, you know this is going to be you know pretty cool let's let's do this. Hamdi was very worried about me, continually saying, you know you've got to be careful, and I thought maybe he was exaggerating well, we'd probably walked twenty meters, and I hear this. T- And you think, you know, what's going on? I saw all the, you know, the tanks, the the Jeeps, not tanks, but Jeeps uh, with a lot of soldiers, and they're starting to shoot tear gas. And the tear gas goes a long way, a long way. And so I thought, you know, tear gas, I can cope with the tear gas. It's not going to do anything. Mm. Well,
1: I was wrong. It's still. Tear gas gas is not just makes you cry.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. But the thing that got me the most, Yusuf, is that there was the. Unbelievable amount that they used. They fired it towards all of the olive trees. They fired them towards the houses. One of the houses caught fire and there's a woman in there. Not a part of the the march, just a woman that's probably been living there for generations. She's been, you know, had generations of her people there. uh, And they just set fire to the house. Now, once everyone starts dispersing, because you have to, you can't actually cope with it because it stings and you can't breathe, well, they come down couple of jeeps with soldiers, and then they start shooting, whether they're blanks, whether they're not. But that intimidation is enough. And again, I don't understand why these people aren't allowed to have a quiet protest. A peaceful one. Well, I think the Israeli law is that if you have more than 10 people, that's deemed illegal. But the fact that they've been doing this for 10 years and there's international people there shows the arrogance of Israel to come down and to do that. And I was quite scared. And again, shooting those canisters, they killed Bassam Aburama a few years ago. And it was an intentional shot. And so it does kill. And again, it was a peaceful march. And I was very shocked at that, Yusuf.
1: Well, you spoke about the Israeli impunity when uh, targeting also international activists. And we know that uh, in the Palestinian uh, struggle, uh, we have uh, several activists also who were killed, who were injured And who were imprisoned because of that So mm. uh, Israel doesn't stop there
0: uh, and, and they don't want people reporting on it I mean it's mm. very clear at the moment They're trying to stop people that are pro-Palestinian mm. Actually getting in mm. So uh, look, uh, after the Berlin March mm. A girl, in Ass had been killed And that shook me Because I was reading it And I she was the same very similar age to
1: what my daughter is, Yusuf You started You started uh, looking at the pictures or the stories of victims from a different perspective yeah, b- b- just beautiful. because you are a father you are also a loving father who dedicates yeah. all his life to his 100% they I mean, they your life.
0: Yeah. and and when i when i hear and this makes me really angry when i hear that people report that the palestinians hate israel more than they love their children that is reprehensible because it is so untrue. The fact that they can even say that is disgusting. Mm. But this poor girl was run down. Her friend, uh, still to this day, is alive but not well because she suffered brain damage. So young
1: Inas died. I uh, was lucky enough. Do, do you know how young, how old was she when she… Uh, she was six. Six year old. Five mm. and a half, six. Yeah. Um, and so so a, a child. Absolutely a child. Yeah. Absolutely. Walking home from school. And then she was, she was run over by a settler? By a settler mm. who didn't stop. No stopping
0: to check. Now, what human being runs over two children and doesn't go back and sees if they're okay? Only one that does it with an intent. Mm. The only one. On purpose. To this day, never a charge. Mm. So I was lucky enough, or I don't know if that's the right word, but I was able to meet the family. And Naomi Wolf, who is an author in America, organized a banner. We had 2,500 names on it and it was having wishes to say that you might be feeling alone but the world is watching and so I went to deliver that Um, as I was walking up I was harassed by soldiers again saying you're not allowed to be here you can't come and I said I'm here visiting a bereaved family who lost their daughter leave me alone please that worked for a few minutes and then four of them came But I got to spend a little bit of time with the family, and as you can imagine, not a lot of words were spoken because they're in utter shock, hadn't got over it. But what makes it even worse is the fact that they're living in a house where soldiers are walking up and back. The settler lives down the road, not a charge, impunity of killing their daughter. What are you supposed to do? What is a human being supposed to do? Their five-year-old daughter was killed not a charge, and then being harassed. I couldn't believe it. Well, from there, you know, I was pretty shocked. I think it was the day after or a few days after that, Yusuf, I went to East Jerusalem and I met a fantastic young man, uh, Mohammed El Kurd, fantastic guy. Uh, his house was taken over by settlers, so half his house. Uh, and then also on the, I think it was the day after that, I wandered down the street uh, where they demolished someone else's house uh, and so when people ask why am I passionate about this because I'm not Palestinian and I'm white and what's it got to do with me That is the reason why because I got exposed to what those poor people get exposed to every single day and then they get told they're terrorists that it's their fault so please we need to do something we need to do something
1: now, Robert, um, you spoke to somebody from Gaza, you met somebody in Bela'in, and you went to the family of the grieved, the, the grieved family who lost her daughter, their daughter, and you also uh, saw a family from Jerusalem uh, who got... Uh, who, who he came home from school as, a, as a, I think, a 14-year-old, and to have settlers, and
0: not just any settlers, settlers from America, really good yeah. ones, aggressive ones.
1: Taking over their... their Aggressive.
0: Well, there's footage on... Uh, you know what? We'll put a, we'll put a link on mm. because there's
1: a, you know, the Israeli Jews celebrating. Has it taken over a family house? And you witnessed that and you, uh, you, you, you actually have first-hand stories and now uh, then you, you left Palestine and you came back to Australia uh, but you came back a different person. Completely different. Mm. And, and just on that, another thing that really upsets
0: me is the fact that if I say something as a white person and a Palestinian living in Palestine says exactly the same, they tend to believe me. And that shows what sort of society we live in. It's disgusting. So you have more credibility. Because than I'm white. Because you're white. And it's, and, it's, and it's wrong. And it's wrong. But I feel that I have a responsibility because I've seen it uh, and that I have to keep – I have to tell people now. And because I expected if someone found out that my kids were being abused and then they kept it to themselves, how could they live with themselves? Well, I haven't read this in a paper. I've actually lived and seen and I communicate with these people. And mm. the fact that we, we in Australia say that Israel's innocent and that Israel has a right to exist, mm. Israel has a right to, to defend, defend itself. itself, please, well, doesn't Palestine have a right to exist? Don't they have a
1: right... To resist? Don't they have a right to freedom? To self-determination. What, what's the difference? No, Robert, this is the third time I hear this story, and every time uh, it feels like the first time, and it makes me uh, feel that I am with you, uh, even though that I'm not far from the story being a Palestinian um you spoke uh, last uh, Sunday or the Sunday before on uh, the um on an occasion of a Malaysian fundraiser and uh, I think the message was delivered uh, to other uh, activists from Malaysia um how does it this is the last question. How does it feel for you to speak to to go through this story again and again? And maybe if you could help well, anyone, it's it's, mov- it's it's really
0: moving, Yusuf. I can feel it. Mm. You know, you can probably you can see that yeah. I can feel it um, uh, because I can, and it's like I was there again. Um, and so I, it's something that I can't put down. It's not something you can pick up and put down. It's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And uh, so whatever we can do, we, we need to. I feel bad having to talk because it's not my place. I'm not a Palestinian, and we shouldn't have to be having these conversations. That's the worst part about it. And the last thing I want to make is that I have a privilege to go there. I have more rights than the Palestinians have in Palestine. I can go in and out more than they can. And how many people that are Palestinians can't
1: go to Palestine? I mean, the- So the- I can go. All of us, all refugees, millions of refugees. Well, how can that be right? Hmm.
0: How can they even, you know, I could become Jewish convert and Alia, and I'd probably accept, maybe not me, for no, for no rights. But the Palestinians that have a right can't go. And so I'm allowed to go in there and walk through their country as a
1: non-Palestinian and have more rights? Wake up. I think this is uh, the best uh, message to end our interview with you, uh, Robert, wake up. Because because we need to wake up to the injustices uh, of Israel on the Palestinians. And we are here entering the 70th anniversary of the establishment of this fascist fascist rogue state of Israel. So, uh, Robert, I want to thank you sincerely for uh, this really heartwarming, although despite the sadness, uh, reflection uh, thank you for uh, the interview and thanks for, thanks for being with me. us.
0: And I'll see you tomorrow night at the 8 dinner.
1: Absolutely. So uh, with this, we've come to the end of this week's episode of uh, Palestine Remembered and our guest, uh, Robert Martin. Until we meet next Saturday, same time, 9.30 uh, in the morning. This is Robert and Youssef and Nasser wishing He's you almost are- back with the coffee. Almost <laughs> back with <to> the cafe, yes. <laughs> Wishing you the best of time and salam. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.